Well, we are back from a bit of a hiatus and just in time to be thinking about kicking off a new year. And for those of you who are new to this podcast, welcome. You are listening to the Music Ed Mentor Podcast, where we teach music educators how to build, manage, and grow thriving school music programs and have long and happy careers. I am your host, Elisa Jansen Jones, and as always, I am filled with gratitude that you're spending your precious time with me today. A couple of months ago, I put out a call for podcast ideas for the next year or so, and I was overwhelmed with the response from our music educator community. So many ideas of what we all need to hear right now. As I was reading them over, I started to notice a pattern. Almost all the topic requests fell into two buckets, innovations in music education and music teacher lifestyle. So for the next six months at least, we'll be focusing on these two areas, ways that music educators like you are improving their practice and their students' learning through innovative ideas, and ways that you can create a lifestyle for yourself that helps you to truly thrive in this career field. Today's episode is the latter, and I couldn't be more excited. When I met Dr. Michael Reiber in the summer of 2019, I was going through a huge transitional period of my life. Go back and listen to those episodes, you'll hear it. And so was he. I'd just lost my dad and my mentor. I'd transitioned out of my full-time teaching job to focus on professional development, like this podcast, and I'd shaved my head as a fundraiser for childhood cancer research. Mike, on the other hand, was transitioning out of his 25-year career being a teacher and mentor for music education majors to go back into the middle school classroom. We met at a NAFME collegiate conference where we both had the opportunity to run workshops with the students. It was an honor to be there, and not just to mentor the students, although it was incredibly impactful, but to hear from Mike and the other speakers. He has always since stood out as a true master educator, and he's proving that every day. In this episode, Dr. Reiber is going to coach us through areas of focus that we can create or shift to ensure the longevity of our careers, which at times can feel so elusive. Where can we go for support when we don't feel supported? How do we get back on track when we're feeling off the rails and out of control? How can we serve all the masters who demand so much from us? Where should our focus lie? On performance, competition, or something else entirely? And is there one thing that we can do every day to magically change our perspective? We answer all of this and more in this episode. But first, how much do you love curating playlists? I have something like 40 Spotify playlists right now, and several of those are collaborative. Wouldn't it be great to be able to make a playlist for your students so they can simply open a software and know what to practice? Well, Smart Music has created just that. 
you can curate playlists for your students of exercises, excerpts, or selections you'd like for them to work on. To learn more about this innovative feature, visit smartmusic.com and give it a try today. This episode is also brought to you by Music Professor, your on-demand teaching assistant. With more than 45 online courses in winds and percussion instruction, your students will have access to professional demonstrations of tone and technique to reinforce what you're teaching in rehearsal. Use the video lessons modularly to support your in-person lessons or assign a full course to students who need a little support to catch up or who might be switching to a new instrument. Try Music Professor free in your classroom for 30 days. Go to musicprofessor.com to learn more. Now, let's hear some sage wisdom from Dr. Mike Reiber. My name is Dr. Michael Reiber, and uh, I am a middle school band director in Mustang, Oklahoma. Uh, I've had the, the pleasure of opening a brand new middle school three years ago. So right before the pandemic and then enjoying the process of figuring out how we do band during that time. And you haven't always been at middle school. No, no. Previ previous to that, uh, I spent 25 years in music teacher education um, and uh, taught for three years at Oklahoma State University. For 14 years, I was at the University of Oklahoma. And then uh, right after that, I was at Oklahoma City University, where I also had the opportunity to... Uh, started an LSYSTEM-inspired program in Oklahoma City, uh, serving about 250 families for underserved children in the Oklahoma City community area in music education and a number of other areas. And how many music educators do you think you've mentored in your extensive oh career? Gosh. Oh gosh. I, don't, I, I really don't know the number, to be quite honest with you. If we figured that an average intro to music ed class was about 30 students, and I did that for 25 years. And we can do the math from there. But, uh, you know, um, I have a, a really interesting uh, opportunity right now. In fact, my, uh, my boss, if you will, the head director at uh, the school district where I work, is actually one of my former students. So that's an interesting time. I still have to convince him to call me Mike instead of Dr. Iver. He refuses. He will not call me by my first name. Uh, that's something I can appreciate having, you know, grown up in, in one state and becoming mm -hmm. colleagues with my former, you know, educators. It's a, it's a whole other world. So in this um, episode, I'm so glad to have you on because you have established a long and happy career. And just like you just said, you've made some shifts throughout the time, but for the next, you know, 30 minutes or so, I would just love to hear not just your own experience, but how we as music educators can develop the sort of focus we need to have longevity in our career. I mean, where, where do we even start? Well, you know, I, there's a lot of different uh, masters, if I can use that word, that we that we serve in the process of being music educators. And, you know, I, I think all the way back to, you know, what initially attracts us into the profession. 
uh, over the the many years that I uh, had the the real pleasure. I mean, one of my favorite things to do when I was uh, teaching the collegiate level was teaching the intro to music ed class, uh, because we had you know incoming freshmen who were coming and excited about the prospect of becoming a music educator. And so, you know, one of the first questions that I would ask in the class all the time was, so why do you want to teach music? What's got you here? Uh, and overwhelmingly, of course, you know, they were talking about the impact that music had on their life. Um, they would also talk a little bit with, with a little bit more digging. They would start to talk about the people in their lives in which they were engaged in, with music. And as we begin to unpack that a little bit more, we begin to understand that it wasn't just music. It was the relationships that we developed through the music making process that really were the things that impacted them and really motivated them to enter the profession and to think about that. Uh, so, you know, building from that and going back and thinking about my, you know, my career, whether that's typical to anybody or not, I don't know, but just thinking back to my own experiences, which is really all a theory I can, I can speak from with confidence, was that, you know, I remember going and making that decision, uh, but it was definitely musically oriented. Uh, the day that I decided that I wanted to be a music educator, it was still very clear in my, in my head. I was a sophomore in high school. Uh, and uh, we were playing a brand new piece of music, chorale and shaker dance, so people can start to figure out how old I am. Uh, but we were we were playing that that day, and and we had worked on that piece quite a bit, so the 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 piece was coming together well. And we had this wonderful moment at the end of the piece, and those who know that know that it's it's based on the shaker melody. And after, at the end of that piece, Deschlix did an amazing job at the end of that composition where all the melodies come together. And uh, for the first time in my life, music came alive and came off the page. It was a surreal moment of playing. And it wasn't just me. It was a corporate process where all of us in the class were feeling this. Because as soon as that got done, my high school band director put his baton down, looked at all of us and just said, thank you. Stepped out on the podium and walked into his office. And we all just sat there in the, in the classroom, literally staring at each other, but nobody would say a word. It, there was just absolute silence in the room. Nobody would talk. And I remember looking across the ensemble at Christy, who is the first year clarinet player. And I looked over and looked, and looked in her eyes and she looked at me and she just mouthed back to me like, wow. And little by little, we put our horns together uh, and put them away, you know, took them apart, put them in the cases. But nobody would still say a thing. Nobody would talk. It was like there was something just amazingly special we knew had just happened in this room, and nobody wanted to break that spell. And you know, we put the put the instruments uh, in the instrument room and and left the band room. We had there was a walkway that had to go up from the band room up to the main building. And I remember walking with my my one of my best friends, who's another trumpet player, Charles. And I looked at Charles and I said, you know, I don't know what just happened, but I want that to happen again and again and again in my life. And I think I really want to be a music teacher. I think that's what I want to do. And from that point forward, I really had that focus on that. What became interesting from that is that, you know, as I got older and understood what had happened in that process is it wasn't just the music. I think often people think, you know, it's this, this art that reaches inside of us and somehow does something within us that is uh, palpable. And we can feel that. But I think what we begin to understand later is this is the relationship, that human connection of person to person through the process that is connecting us in such intimate ways that we un begin to understand ourselves and others in very, very different ways. 
And so, and I think back to teaching and thinking about mentoring young teachers through this process and helping them work through that. Often we would talk about the ideas of how do we, how do we enter this space of, as a teacher to, to be able to develop the relationships necessary with all the parties in the room, whether that's students, other teachers, with the music, with the subject, I mean, all of these other things. How do we create an environment where student and teacher and subject matter are all in this, this relationship that empowers each other, that feeds each other in that process? And sometimes one part of that relationship may be greater than others. At other times, uh, they're all equal to each other. And, and managing that sort of uh, relationship is really the process that keeps empowering uh, at least me in the in the process of teaching as I enter that space and try to figure out where are we in these relationships today and what role do I get to play today in this process and, you know if if students are coming in all on fire and ready to go uh, then I have a different relationship in that process with our subject matter and the students and myself there trying to figure out what sort of environments going to allow the the kind of interactions that are going to be beneficial to everybody in that process. And so for me, it's managing all of those pieces that keeps it exciting and fresh every day. And I've told many people before, you know, I, I'm in my 40th year of teaching and I have yet to have two days that are the same. And I love that. I love that, that freshness of every day being able to walk in and get that to happen. Now, I, I know that sounds very ethereal and, and kind of out there, but when you think about the practical decisions that go into the process of deciding, you know, here we are today, here's the music we're working with, here's where the students are coming in, here's where I'm coming in. I mean, even, you know, the last couple of weeks, we, we had a major loss in my family and walking into the classroom with that burden and being able to share that in that space with my students and just tell them, honestly, guys, you know, I'm struggling a little bit today because this is what's happened in my life. And uh, I'm going to appreciate that we can all work on this together. And I'm going to need perhaps a little bit more from you right now so that I can help step into this space and help us work this together. So if you're willing to pick up a little bit more, I promise you, we'll, we'll make this work and we'll get this to happen. And uh, when you are able to talk to students about it that way and able to work through that process that way, then the practical things that have to happen in the classroom begin to take place. Students start to step up and, and take on additional roles that they need to to be able to make that happen. Uh, and when you watch them grow in that process and, and work through that, it's really exciting. And for me, that's the part that just keeps me coming back constantly. It's definitely what, what motivated me to move back into the classroom uh, to the public school classroom three years ago when I made that decision to do that because I missed that kind of relationship uh, on a regular basis with students that uh, at the age where they are with middle school students like I'm working with right now that I felt really, really needed the opportunity to grow in those ways. Uh, there isn't one of us in this world that would go volunteer to go back to middle school. <laughs> it's not usually the most comfortable space in our life. But the opportunities to be able to go in and help students find their places and realize how they can uh, engage in these sorts of relationships uh, within their spaces and help them learn how to do that effectively, that keeps it pretty fresh and pretty exciting every day. Yeah, so, some great stuff that we could break down in that. Um, I love that it was a musical experience that really connected with you. Um, for me, it was teaching experiences. 
versus, I mean, obviously I, you know, growing up in music and, and being surrounded by music all the time, that impact wasn't lost on me. But eventually I realized, because I could have had, you know, many careers in, in music, but it was the love of teaching. And I think that's what, what those relationships really break down into, right? Oh, you bet. You bet. And I think you voiced that really, really well, because that was the, tra- that is the transition, right? It's that, it's that moment where uh, you begin to realize that you, um, you relish more the opportunities that you see the learners in, in the space that you're sharing at that point. Uh, when you see them grow into that, you enjoy that more than your own musical accomplishments. And I know that happened for me, uh, and I see that happen for many teachers, uh, music teachers. We get there, and we, you know, and you start talking about, you know, all the wonderful musical things are going on in their lives, and they constantly are talking about the accomplishments of the students that they're sharing the space with, instead of the performances they're doing themselves. Now, you know, I'm still an active performer, and many of the folks I know are active performers, and I love doing that. That's a very important part of my life. Uh, and the opportunity to be able to go sit in an ensemble or in a chamber group uh, or a band or an orchestra and be able to play and do those things, that's incredibly important. But it doesn't fill the same space in my life as the teaching does. It's a very, um, I don't know that, it, that it's, it's more like, for me, if you think about it, like a sort of like a Venn diagram, there's certainly a space where those two things overlap. But there's also spaces where each of those are very unique experiences for me in my life. So that leads me to a great question. How important is it for us to have passions outside of the classroom? You have to, you know, I, I, I wonder, I do really wonder, um, you know, what it is like to be able to walk out the office door, whatever you're doing and not have another thought about the office until you go back to the office. Uh, That's not a place where teachers usually reside. Uh, because we do often tend to carry things with us, but we have to remind ourselves that while it's all incredibly important and those relationships we're developing are incredibly important, it still is an occupation. And there are times, uh, quite honestly, uh, that we have to figure out where, where that box needs to sit for a while. All right. And uh, there are certainly times, you know, where in emergency situations or places where, you know, there are times that students need uh, something uh, and, and desperately need that right now, then definitely those lines get crossed and you step into those spaces when students need those things. But I do think, too, that to be effective with what we're doing, we have to be able to draw lines uh, clearly and be able to say, you know, this is my time to be a performing musician. And I, I am going to separate myself a bit from my teaching thoughts and my concerns about, you know, where we are with whatever's going on in the classroom. That This takes all of my attention. And it's one of the reasons why I love performing so much is because I do have to give all that I have to that moment. And, and that requires me to be able to make that happen. Now, I think as musicians, it's very interesting for us. Often our vocation is also our avocation. Mm-hmm, and so true. it's really difficult to keep those two things separate from each other unless we make a mindful, thoughtful decision to be able to do that. And I know I have to do that um, often. And sometimes it's difficult because I'm performing with a lot of either current students or former students because I've 
lived in this area for so long and worked with so many music teachers that often if I, you know, if I go into a community band situation or, or, you know, a gig that I'm playing somewhere, uh, most of the musicians in that space are people that I've shared a teaching space with along with a performance space. And there have been times where we've, you know, honestly had to have that conversation of, you know, we're not, we're not talking school today, guys. There, there are other things that we're going to, we're going to work on. Um, and, and that's that's extremely important, I think, for us to be able to keep a life balance and keep our abilities to be able to focus on the important things when we need to focus on them. It keeps us fresh and it gives us that ability to be able to do that. It's so hard to draw that line, though, and be sure. disciplined about it. But I think it is important to to draw those lines. But maybe it's that we just need to have activities that are so engrossing. Like you said, when, for me, when I really missed having that performance experience, I went and started playing with my community band. And that was the one night a week where I could set everything aside and just go and play. And I didn't have to think about anything except what was happening in that rehearsal. So if, if one of our listeners doesn't have something they're passionate about outside of the classroom, would you recommend that they, they go after, like, how do they decide what to, what to put that energy into? I think it grows organically by allowing ourselves to have all kinds of different experiences. I've got an example right now. I'm actually on Thursday evenings. I actually go do a trivia uh, with a bunch of family and friends uh, at a local establishment here. Uh, and I never thought I would be interested in that. My, it's actually my daughter. She lives close to us. My daughter, uh, she's married and, and um, her, she and her husband called and said, hey, we want you to go to trivia with this. It's like, uh, guys, this is really not my thing. And like, come on, you know, we'll buy dinner. And it's like, okay, I'll go. And then got there and found out this is just such a blast. I mean, you don't really realize, you know, how much trivial knowledge you have running around in your head until you get challenged into those spaces and realize this is pretty fun. I'm thinking about things that are very different than anything I think about. It's a completely different group of people that I hang with. Uh, it's a completely different um, endeavor. And for an hour and a half on Thursday night, I just go play trivia. Okay. And it is an absolute blast. And it is a discipline because I'm coming home with, you know, a backpack full of things that need to be done and lesson plans that need to be taken care of and things that need to be graded and all of those other things. And it is, it is very nice. And I have really enjoyed the freedom of being able to say, you know, I can't do that right now. I'm going to go do trivia. And it really is a freeing experience when you say, I have something else that's important to me and I'm going to go do that. And it gives me the reason to be able to say, I can set these things down for now. You know, the world's not going to come to an end if I don't get that done today. And what? being able to make that happen is so important, right? It is credible to be able to, it, and I didn't realize that it would give me permission to do that. Well, are, are too many of us really so caught up in what we're doing in our job that we're giving too much to it, that we're caring too much, that we feel we have this need to be perfect. And so we give our time and our energy so completely. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, perfectionism is a huge problem in our profession. Uh, partly, I think it, do, it does come from the foundations of our performance initiatives early on. And, you know, this may get me in, in big trouble, but, you know, I think one of the big problems we have right now is perfectionism in performance. Uh, 
for the longest time, I, you know, this dates me again, but, you know, I called it the CD society that, you know, that when we'd hear all these CD, CD recordings of these amazing ensembles and everybody would think, you know, wow, my ensemble needs to sound like that until we realized that that's been mastered and dubbed and, you know, we've cut in things and cut out of things and, and put all these together. So they really are perfect performances for, in, in many cases, I think we could all have questions about the perfection in those uh, if we really looked at that. But, you know, they really are taken to that level of expectation, uh, particularly of technical ability in music that is just beyond what is, I, I think, certainly capable for most learning, growing musicians who are in this space, trying to figure out who they are, not only who they are as musicians, but just who they are as people. And we impose this level of perfection on top of that and measure the worth of what we're doing based on that mm. then i think we've got some real issues that we work with and then we start measuring ourselves in that same way because it's the only i don't want to say effective but it's the only real measure that we we think we have at that point right, right. i have i have these recordings and i can compare all these things and i'm a good enough musician that i can hear the differences in these two things and this is not where I want it to be. And this is it. This is. And yet, is that really the measure of what we're doing in the music classroom all the time? Now, I do want to say, I really don't have a real place for mediocre music performance. That's, you know, by intention, that's not it. But I do think we need to think about where we are in performance as process and allowing ourselves to understand where we are in the process of what we're doing. And when we look at it in that continuum as we're working with the students that we work with, then I think we have a perspective that we can work from. Uh, because we work for a, a daunting master. I mean, music is either yes or no in many cases. It's either right or it's not right. Uh, when we think about elements of music like intonation and pulse and articulation and all of those other things, Let's, we can set aside the interpretive elements for a minute. But when we think about those things, it's it's quite often it's either right or it's not right. Uh, and when we measure ourselves based on that, then we have that same process of looking at all the other things we do in our teaching. And it's either right or it's not right. When teaching is very much a, a different perspective altogether. There are so many other things that are involved in that. There is not a right and wrong in teaching, short of you know illegal and immoral acts in the classroom. But there's uh, you know, there are so many other things that come to play with that that we have to measure that differently. And when we put the same yardstick on that that we do from our musical performance, then I think we, I set, we set ourselves up for all of these times where we literally sit and bang our heads on the desk and say, I can't do this. I right. can't be perfect. And of course you can't. We all know that that's an unrealistic expectation, but we can't get away from it because we don't have another means by which to measure it. Right. It's, it's qualitative versus quantitative. In many cases, yes. So what do we do if we're at a stage in our career where we've lost our way or we're rethinking what it is that we're doing? Maybe we feel like we've lost our, our passion mm -hmm. for teaching and for music and we're not having the kinds of experiences that we want. What, what can we do? I think the first thing to do is, is, you know, number one, find somebody uh, that you can share your heart with somebody that will just sit and listen. You're not looking for answers right now. You're just not okay? because nobody has those answers. Those answers reside inside of you. Okay? Uh, and nobody's going to be able to come in. Teaching is such a personal act 
real honest teaching is so personal that we can't have somebody come in and say, well, you know, I think if you did this, this, and this, things get better. There are certainly ways, you know, that you can mentor teachers and help them in the process of getting that to happen. But when you're talking about the passion for what we do, that's, that's really not uh, a space where you can be honestly mentored in a, in a step-by-step, you know, 12-step process of learning how to, you know, work your way out of that. I have, and even recently, I've had moments where I've had really good heart-to-heart conversations with good friends, uh, with my spouse, uh, you know, with, with those other folks, just talking about, here's where I feel like I am right now. And this is why I think I'm feeling this way. And as I allow myself to talk through that in a way that I have to share it with somebody else so they understand it, I really get to understand myself a little bit better. And I start to find out, wow, I didn't realize that that's the way I really felt about this. Or I didn't realize that was the the measure that I was putting on this right now. And as much as I say, you know, we shouldn't measure ourselves to perfection, we're all guilty of it, and me especially, um, that with, when I look at that and then go, you know, gosh, Mike, they're 12 and 13 years old, and this is really where you're thinking you need to be with these kids right now, and this is the important part of the measurement, because that's what just came out of your mouth. Wow, maybe you know, we need to look at this again differently. And realize that the passion that I went into this for was never about perfection and performance. And, you know, go back to what we were talking about before when we talked about the intro to music ed kids. I had, I never had a student come to me and say, you know, I, I want to go teach because I'm going to be the next best 6A high-powered band director in the state of Oklahoma. Nobody came to me that way. They all came to me with these wonderful ideas of connecting with other people. That's why we went into the profession. That's what attracted us in the first place. And when we get away from that, we get away from the passion that drove us to begin with. And now when we get the idea to be able to reconnect to that, it's it's helpful. So for me, it's been helpful to go out and talk about those things. I think it's also really good to just get out and watch great teachers teach. Watch them, you know, watch them as they connect with the students in their classroom. Because as a passionate teacher, you're going to be re-empowered by that. That's going to be really cool things that, that are going to just light up your day and allow you to be able to see, yeah, this is why I wanted to teach in the first place. This is what got me here. All right. And I love seeing that kind of stuff go on in the classroom. And then, you know, then you're able to go in and sit down and talk and say, hey, I love what you did there. How do you, you know, how did you set up the environment in this classroom so that that could take place? All right. Now, word of caution. And, and I did this when I was a young teacher. I, I remember I used to go to the district band festivals all the time, and I would watch the conductors work with the bands at these district, district honor bands and just about script everything they were saying. I mean, I would write like crazy, uh, you know, two-hour rehearsal, and my hand would be numb because I'd been writing everything down in a legal pad. Uh, and, and then I would go home and try to reenact that in my classroom. Uh, and real and forgot the critical piece that I'm not that teacher, and those students aren't the students that I'm working with. That's just not the same environment. I missed a critical piece in the in the the structure of our classroom and those four commonplaces. If you want to think about that, those those things that are present in all teaching and learning environments, right? The student, the teacher, the subject matter, and the environment. And what I failed to recognize is the student and the teacher were two were very different. And so, you know, I tried to treat these things like they were incantations, right? If I say all the right words, magic will happen. Uh, and that wasn't the case. 
when I began to, to look beyond that and say, wow, how do we get an environment in place that allows students and teachers to interact like that? That's what I want to know how to figure out what I want to know how to do. And that becomes exciting and empowering uh, as we begin to think about those are the things that I can change. There's lots of things in teaching we can't change right now, particularly with with all the effects uh, of the pandemic in the last two years. There's lots of things we can't change and we can get really focused on those things. But when you realize what I can change is the environment that these that we share with students. And that's the place where I can really enact whatever magic can happen in this space. That's pretty powerful stuff. And I think that's the part that gets us going again. I think that's where we get back and we get reconnected to that. So, you know, I think being able to have those honest conversations with people that are willing to listen to us and, and just allow us to be able to share our heart with them as honestly as we can share it. And I think it's got to be somebody that you really trust, obviously, but somebody who can also reflect back to you what you've just said and, and be able to kind of help us take that apart. And I think getting in those spaces where we see incredible teachers do incredible things because we've always been motivated by that. I don't know any of us that haven't watched a great teacher work and go, wow, that's just amazing. Okay. That's so powerful. Yeah. And we don't do enough of either of those things. We don't do enough of, of sharing our, our true hearts with someone who actually can listen. We do it on social media, I think, <laughs> you know, but, but the there's, there's a whole nother podcast there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Which I mean, being, you know, a, a Facebook group, uh, founder sure. and, and supporter, I, I know that there is a good place in there, yeah. but the problem with, with opening yourself up there is that the people who might be giving you feedback don't know you. They don't, they don't know your, your personality and the ins and outs of what it is that you do. And so building up that network of teachers who do understand, and I'm a big advocate for making friends with the other teachers in your school, even if you're the only music teacher in your school. Well, and especially if you're the only music teacher. Oh, that's, yeah, especially that's yeah. A, that's essential uh, and even more so. I mean, I, I think one of the things that I've enjoyed the most about returning to the public school classroom is realizing the importance of making connection with my colleagues in the building, uh, because I was very guilty as, as uh, a young music educator of really isolating myself. And, you know, I taught in a larger district up in the northeastern part of Oklahoma. You know, I had a lot of other band directors that I got to, to hang with and work with as colleagues, but the other teachers in the building with which I worked had the same students I had every day. The other ones did not. And right. that was a very different level of conversation. And having those conversations and those relationships with them and hearing them describe, you know, the, the wonderful outgoing student that I had in my classroom every day, you know, playing French horn, sitting in their English class as an introvert and afraid to speak. Was very different for me to look like. Wow, they do have two different personalities, don't they? Mm -hmm. And they are more complex than what we make them. Uh, and you know, those things all tend to to help us know more about what's going on. So that's a critical piece uh, to be able to do that. There are also the people that you get to go to immediately when there's an issue that's going on in your space in your building. And you know, how many times you have to go literally across the hall and say, hey, I need for you to watch class right now because I've got to take Sally here to the counseling office. We've got to take care of this right now. Right. right? And you need to have those kinds of relationships because those things do come up. You know, when those things are shared with you and it's like, we need to deal with this now. 
this, you know, we can't wait for this. So, you know, I need to ask Miss Williams if she'll come watch class real quick. So you and I can take a walk down to the counselor's office and you can, you can work through this. Well, and it's, it's great to have those colleagues uh, to help mitigate future issues. And if you have those strong relationships, when there's a track meet the same day as your band concert, you can work that out with your, your colleague in a helpful way rather than uh, an antagonistic way, right? Well, a case in point, I'm, I'm, we've got a concert tomorrow and basketball game the same night. Uh, and both uh, first and second chair trumpet and our advanced performing ensemble are, are basketball players. And so, you know, going to coaches three weeks ago when we knew this was a conflict when the basketball schedule came out and sitting down with them and, and, you know, just because we already had a relationship and being able to sit down and have that conversation and say, you know, here's what we've got. It's our first performance in our brand new performing arts center. I would love for these students to have the opportunity to take part in this. But if, you know, if they're not going to be able to do that, then we need to figure out where we are with this and being able to have that relationship, you know, both the coach and the athletic director are able to say, if they only get one performance in their one inaugural performance, they're going to have a lot of basketball games. Right. Why don't they, why don't they go play that? And, one of them, and that's the way we're going to, to talk to them about this as well and support that. So, you know, that seems a little self-serving, uh, but it is important to have those relationships. And at the same time, when they're in district championships and I've got a big rehearsal coming up or something that's going on, we're going to need to reciprocate. Right. Okay? And we're going to need to be able to make that make that work. Uh, I'm very fortunate. Uh, I have two daughters, uh, one very musically oriented. In fact, she's a music teacher now in Texas. And uh, the other one is very athletic or athletically oriented. And seeing those two different worlds uh, and working through that with two daughters through school and realizing how those those two places interact and don't sometimes uh, really opens your eyes to the need to be able to do that uh, for the student's sake, right? Because there isn't a student that wakes up any morning and goes, I want to go disappoint Miss Smith today. Exactly. Yeah, they're not doing that. We forget that it should just be about the students. And I would never want to deprive a student of something. I was so grateful in, in the school where I last taught when basketball game landed on our band concert day, my principal actually got the basketball game moved to a different that's time. Awesome. Yeah. So that there wouldn't be that conflict, but that's why we build rapport with our colleagues. You bet. And yeah, we have and to do, be, be the one to, to reach a handout. We can't always just sit in our classroom and wait. When I had my first middle school teaching job, I spent every lunch period getting out of my band room, walking all the way across the school and having lunch in the teacher's lounge. That's, that's and what great advice. I mean, it's so important uh, to be able to do that if that's possible. Uh, you know, there's many of us, I think the other problem that we have for a lot of music teachers, and I know my current schedule, I'm in two buildings every day, and the travel time that I have is lunchtime. Um, and so, you know, then you have to find other ways to be able to do that. Today yeah. after school, today after school, uh, there was a uh, bridal shower for one of our English teachers who's getting married over Christmas break. Uh, I've got to admit, bridal showers are not exactly my main cup of tea. No, but it was really important that I go take, you know, show up and congratulate and, you know, be part of all of that as a member of that community okay? uh, and be able to make that work. Uh, and that's that's really important. And so I think for some of us, uh, we have to be willing to kind of step out of our comfort zones a little bit as well as be able to do that. And then you find that, you know, it really may not be outside of your comfort zone. They really are kind of fun. Bridal showers are kind of fun. I had a good time today. 
They sure can be. Yeah, for sure. Well, this has just been such a fantastic chat as I knew it would be. So thank you so much for being my guest and, and having this conversation. It's, it's really important for us to be able to refocus and refine that passion in our careers and remember why we really do it. And so that we can have that longevity, which I think we all truly want in our heart of hearts. None of us join this profession to say, well, you know, I think I'm going to teach for a couple of years and be done. No, if anybody's doing that, then, then you know, uh, they're crazy people because a music ed degree is not an easy degree to complete. Yeah, absolutely. So any final words of advice for us? Enjoy every day walking into the space where you, that you can walk into and start every day with gratitude. Uh, I think it's been an essential part of, uh, of what we do every day. I start every rehearsal with a gratitude breath. And we just take time to think about the things or places or people or smells or tastes or whatever, whatever we're most grateful for. And, you know, what they tell, what it tells us in, in learning to focus on gratitude is when we are truly thankful, we can't be stressed. We can't be anxious. We can't allow all of these other things in our lives. We consciously make an effort to eliminate those things for whatever period of time they can. And uh, it has made a huge difference in my life and the way I approach what I do in my classroom every day. Um, and, you know, I, I would highly encourage us to just think about that, whether you do that corporately with you, with the, the students that you get to share your space with, or whether you do that individually, find those things that you can be grateful for. Uh, and sometimes that may be a struggle, but there's always something. There's always something that you can be grateful for. And when you can focus on that gratefulness and make that part of what you do every day, uh, I think you'll find that there's going to be other things that are going to come to light uh, that are going to be even better than that. Just like with all things, when we want to improve, we just have to practice. And the gratitude practice is a great, great thing. That's a great way to put that. I love that. I'm going to steal that from you. I told you that was going to be wonderful, didn't I? Now you get to ask yourself, which am I going to do first? Arrange for some observation time? Start a gratitude practice? Or rethink the idea of competition in the classroom? A huge thanks again to Smart Music and Music Professor for supporting this podcast. We couldn't do it without them. They are doing so much to create innovative solutions for educators like you. Won't you take a few moments and check them out the next time you're online? And thank you again for joining me today. More than anything, I hope you take a few minutes to pat yourself on the back because you deserve it. You just spent this time enhancing your own life and improving yourself by simply listening. Now it's time to take action and keep teaching on. Yeah.